Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And we're going to look together at that reading from Mark chapter 10, which is on page 1015 of the Church Bibles. It would be a great help if you could turn to that reading again. And let's pray for God's help as we look together at his word. Father, on this Remembrance Sunday, as we remember with all kinds of mixed emotions uh, those who have sacrificed much for us, we pray that your word this morning would help us to know how we should remember. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was seven, my family moved next door to a, a retired couple. In many ways, this couple were kind of uh, very typical, unremarkable people. They were polite and friendly and understated. Uh, being well on in years, I guess they were uh, quite frail. And I do remember at times when I kicked the football over the fence that uh, he was quite scary. Um, but apart from that, kind of nothing really stuck in, in my mind about the couple next door. It was only years later that we discovered that he had been uh, the squadron leader of perhaps the most famous squadron in the Battle of Britain, 603 Squadron. This frail old man living in an unremarkable little town near Edinburgh was this uh, great squadron leader. He had taken 45 men with him from Edinburgh down to Essex at the start of the war. And in the ensuing six weeks, this one squadron shot down more than double of any other aircraft uh, from any squadron in that battle. But it was at great cost 
my neighbor himself was shot down twice, and twice he got back into a plane and flew again. On the very first day of combat, three men were killed from that one squadron. And by the end of the battle, only, uh, well, a third of the men didn't come back up to Edinburgh. The average age of that group, well, was 22. Today is a day when we remember the actions, the sacrifice of many brave men and women in the course of human conflict. Often ordinary, unremarkable people like my neighbor, yet people who did remarkable things. And on a day like this, it is often hard to know how we should remember, how we should make sense of the friends, family we've lost, of the stories we hear of great sacrifice. Of course, there will be grief at the loss. Uh, There may be thankfulness to the should be for what has been done for us. Perhaps inspiration at the examples of bravery we hear on a day like this. Lots of ways we should remember. But this morning as we come to the words of Jesus in Mark 10, can I suggest we find in that reading three particular ways that we should remember on a day like this. The first is this, remember what true greatness looks like. My next door neighbor didn't look like a great man, not perhaps in the way that the world would describe greatness, but look at verse 43 of that reading from Mark 10. Jesus says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Do you see, according to Jesus, true greatness looks like putting yourself last and serving others first. Many of the young men from 603 Squadron were from wealthy families in Edinburgh. They, were from, uh, they were, had jobs in banks and law firms. Uh, they were the cream of society. They had enough money to spend their spare time uh, flying as a hobby. And so when the war began and the call came for pilots, uh, they were well prepared to be involved and they gave up their jobs and their status and their comforts in order to serve. And that, says Jesus, is what true greatness looks like, becoming a servant. The story is told of one of the pilots from 603 Squadron. His name was Ken McDonald. After his plane was hit, Witnesses saw him climb from the cockpit onto the wing, preparing to jump with his parachute to safety. But he realized that the plane was heading towards uh, some houses, so he got back into the cockpit and he steered the stricken plane away from the houses. And in so doing, he went down with the plane and died. That, says Jesus, is what true greatness looks like, serving others in the most costly way. Uh, More recently, some of you may have heard the story of Kate Nesbitt, only 20 when she headed out for her first tour in Afghanistan. One day whilst out on patrol with her group, uh, one of her team was shot through the neck and seriously injured. And under heavy fire, Kate ran some 70 meters across open land to her stricken uh, friend. And during a, a severe firefight over the next 45 minutes, she attended to his needs At times, she stood up in open fire to address and set up an IV drip. Her bravery saved the life of her friend. 
That, says Jesus, is what true greatness looks like, serving others at great personal cost. And I think we need to remember that that is what greatness looks like because so often in our world today, people think that greatness is found not in serving but in being served. Look at how Jesus describes the world in his day. It's there in verse 42. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Do you see how people in that day viewed greatness and and, and authority? They thought greatness was to have power over other people, uh, to push your weight around, to to say jump and people jump. It was true then and it's still true today. The boss who views the office like his little kingdom. The club secretary who does everything they can to control their little patch. The politician who's more worried about power and status than good policy and public service. And sadly, this view of greatness seeps in, I think, to even to church, even amongst Christians. Perhaps we reckon we'd be rather good at leading a Bible study and instead we're asked to serve the coffee. Perhaps we reckon we'd be good at leading the music at the front on a Sunday but instead we're asked to do the gardening on a Thursday afternoon when no one's around. I wonder how we feel in those moments when we are asked to take the low place and to serve. On this Remembrance Sunday, I suggest that one way we should remember those who have served us and sacrificed for us, well, remember what true greatness looks like. But I think Mark 10 has more to say to us about how we should remember on this Remembrance Sunday. And my second thought is this for us. Remember who the true enemy is. They said it, said it was the war to end all wars, or at least that was the hope during World War I, but of course it wasn't because in just a few years the world was at war again differences, different contexts, different circumstances, but the same terrible results. And the reality is that as we stand here and sit and remember today, we remember not just one war or two wars, but we remember a history of human conflict. We can't reduce the enemy down to to one person or one regime or, or to one country in one time and space. Why is that? Why is it that conflict is an ever-present reality of human existence? Well, I think Mark 10 shows us a reason. Look at what we see going on with Jesus' followers. Two of them, James and John, come to Jesus with a request. Verse 37, they replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. Now, this is a most remarkable pitch. James and John reckon that Jesus is a king coming to establish a glorious kingdom, and they want to be part of the action. They make a pitch to become prime minister and president in this new glorious kingdom because I reckon they think that is the place of true power and true greatness. 
And I reckon the other disciples also thought that way as well. Look at verse 41. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. You see, the ten were outraged, not because I think that they were annoyed that James and John had the wrong view of greatness, but rather they were annoyed because they had the same view of greatness as James and John, and they wanted the top spots for themselves, and they were outraged that these two guys had got there first. And as we watch these 12 friends turn and start to bicker and fight with each other, aren't we seeing the cause of conflict, the profound universal desire to be in the best seat and to be right at the center of everything? Just last year, the New York Times journalist James Risen published a book entitled Pay Any Price, Greed, Power, and endless war. He was looking at the, uh, the drivers and motives uh, behind conflict since 9-11. And that's certainly a title for a book that would be at home in Mark 10. Greed, power, and endless war. And so on this Remembrance Sunday, as we grapple with the frequency of war, I think Mark 10 gives us a vital insight into the human heart a heart that wants to be at the center of everything. And so we need to remember who the true enemy is, not one person at any one time, but rather, as it's so often said, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And of course, we don't have to start a war or invade a country to have a heart problem. I remember growing up, uh, none of us kids wanted to sit in the middle seat in the back of the car. And uh, it was deemed to be the kind of most undesirable seat in the car. And so at various times, there would be a, a squabble and a fight uh, that would break out about who sat where in that back row in the middle seat or not. And eventually, in order to kind of uh, get to the bottom of the squabble, we came up with a, a method for working out who sat in that place of dishonor. It was the last person to touch the outside of the car as we raced back. And so you can imagine for a number of years, the scamming boys, whenever we got near the car, it became a manic sprint to get back to the car first. On one particular occasion, I was so desperate to get there first that I just didn't stop. And I smashed into the car and there was blood everywhere. I had to go to the hospital. I had many stitches put in my forehead. And I don't even think I won. You can imagine what my poor mom was thinking the whole time. Well, look, it's a childish example, but isn't the same desire at work in all of us to put ourselves forward, to get the best spot in life? Now, for most of us, that won't mean running full on into a parked car, or it won't mean doing the James and John grab at power to become the prime minister. But it might mean that we always have to have the last word. Or we push others out of our way to get the promotion. We might see it in the way that we make decisions, thinking of our own needs before others. Or perhaps in the white-hot anger that rises in our hearts when people criticize us. Or in the time and energy we spend maintaining a public image that looks impressive and sorted when actually inside we are a wreck. You see, this attempt to be the center of the world causes great friction and brokenness in our horizontal relationships. 
But more seriously, it causes great damage to our vertical relationship with God because we are trying the same thing with God as well. Imagine uh, coming home from holiday and you come back to your front door and you discover that the door is ajar, it's open. Someone's been into your house while you're away. They've, they've broken in. And I, imagine rushing into the house and trying to work out what kind of state the house is in and you scan the room to see what's been taken. And as you look around, you discover that, well, actually nothing's been taken. But then as you start to look at your possessions and your stuff, you start to notice something strange. That on the TV screen and on the iPad and on your favorite pair of shoes and on your clothes and wardrobe and across the mirror in the bathroom, someone's gone and written their name over everything. What would you think? Well, you might think, oh, I know who broke into my house. (laughs) But of course, you'll think, how dare they? It's my home. It's my stuff. They have no right coming in and writing their name across my stuff. And yet, isn't that what we're trying to do with God? We rock up into his world and we enjoy his things, the good things around us, the gifts he's given us. And we try to write our name over everything around us, saying it's ours, it's mine. But it's not. You see, we push God away from our lives and run our life as if he doesn't exist, but he does. And that move to grab at the center destroys our relationship with God because we are pushing him away And he is the center of the world. And so as we remember on this Remembrance Sunday, I think Mark Tan would say to us, remember who the true enemy is. So is there any hope for us, for the world? Well, finally, on this Remembrance Sunday, Mark Tan would say to us, remember where the true victory is found. Where can we find lasting victory? Victory over all wars, even over the human heart that is so prone to being self-centered. Where can we find true and lasting peace for a world like that? Well, there is one final person we must remember on this Remembrance Sunday. He's there in verse 45. Here are the words of Jesus. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here is the greatest servant of all. Oh, this morning we've, we, we, we recalled many uh, wonderful men and women who have done incredible things, great acts of sacrifice to serve us. I'm sure you've heard of many others throughout this weekend. But as we finish, we need to see that this final example of Jesus Christ is the most remarkable act of service. And he's not just an example for us to follow. He is so much more than that. He is a rescuer coming to bring us freedom and victory. You see, all the men and women we've heard about today didn't get up one morning and think, the plan for me is to die. They didn't plan to die. They died because of the circumstances, because of the place they were in. But not so Jesus Look back at verse 33. And he says, We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. You see, Jesus willingly went to his death 
He knew what would happen. He was completely aware of the circumstances. He was not a victim of a tragic state of affairs. No, he came down to earth and he experienced a bloody, gruesome death on a cross because that was his mission. That was the plan all along for Jesus and he knew it. And why would Jesus come on that kind of mission into the world that would involve that kind of death for us? Well, verse 45 explains. He came to give his life as a ransom. Now, we know how ransoms work, don't we? Uh, Back in January of this year, the story broke that there were two Japanese men being held hostage by ISIS. That was very clear from the, the TV screens. They were under threat of death. And then ISIS announced that there was a ransom fee available of 132 million pounds. If someone would pay the ransom fee, then these two men would be released. The weeks went by and no one paid. And then the the week after, the pictures appeared. These two men had been killed by ISIS. Oh, it's a terrible story. But you see here in Mark 10, the same kind of language is being used. There is a hostage scenario going on and a ransom fee is needed because there are people who are being held hostage, not in Mark 10 by ISIS, but by something more universal and more devastating even than that. We are hostage, each one of us, to sin, to that heart which pushes everyone, including God, away. And we are hostage to the consequences that come with that heart. The war and the conflict, the unrest, but also ultimately God's judgment as well. And what is the ransom fee that can free us from this sin? Not money, but a life. Jesus gave himself, his life, as that ransom payment. His death to set us free. Free from the guilt of living in God's world without any reference to him at all. You may have heard the story of the Royal Marine Reservist, Matt Croucher. Uh, He was part of a small patrol team near Sangin and Helmand province uh, when he felt a tripwire against his boot. He had touched a wire that was attached to a booby trap, a a grenade was planted there on the ground, and he had seven seconds to decide what to do. I wonder what you would have done in those seven seconds. Well, Matt Croucher... Uh, knew exactly what he wanted to do. He could think of nothing other than saving his four friends, so he turned around and jumped backwards. He landed on that grenade, and he covered it with his body armor and his rucksack, and he took the hit. As it turns out, he, he actually survived. He was protected from the worst of the blast, but he also rescued his four friends in that remarkable act of rescue. But I wonder if you can see this morning that what is on offer for us with the death of Jesus is an even greater rescue than the rescue provided by Matt Croucher. When Jesus offers to pay the ransom fee, he is offering to bring us a victory which will last once and for all time, that'll last through eternity, victory over sin and death, over every consequence of sin. He is offering to bring us into a new world where there's no tear and no unpeace, Uh, Unrest with his peace for eternity. 
we read in verse 34 that Jesus will rise again on the third day. And so too will we if we trust in the death of Jesus. And so on this Remembrance Sunday, yes, let's remember the brave example of many men and women who gave themselves to serve us. But please also let's remember the greatest servant of all, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his life in our place as our ransom. And as I finish, let me ask each one of us, have we let Jesus serve us? Not just to be an example for us, but but to be our servant, taking our own sins onto himself. If we have, then we have received a wonderful victory, a wonderful rescue. But if we haven't this morning, why wouldn't we want to let him serve us? If you're not sure what it means to let Jesus serve you, why not come and speak to me at the end or Paul will be at the back. We'd love to speak to you further. But let's remember the greatest servant of all. Let's pray. Father, on this Remembrance Sunday, we thank you for this reminder of what true greatness looks like, serving others before our own needs. And Father, we thank you for that greatest act of service ever known in the course of human history, the Lord Jesus giving himself to death to serve us and to redeem us and rescue us. Father, please help us to remember that ultimate sacrifice. And please give us great confidence that because of that sacrifice, we will one day be in a world where there is no pain, no suffering, and no death. In Jesus' name, amen.